world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, a message to healthcare professionals everywhere. Get your act together. Diane shares her personal frustrations with a healthcare delivery system that is anything but elder friendly. Parents Are Hard To Raise is now available on Spotify and its 180 million monthly subscribers. parents are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert, Diane Berardi. Everything is good. Your parents are self-sufficient. They're living their own lives. They're doing their own thing. They're independent. Until one day they're not. And that can change in a heartbeat. It can change in an instant. Out of the blue, there's a health issue a fall, or you notice something happened, something changed. We know it's inevitable. We know our parents are going to age and things are going to happen. We try to prepare you. We try to prepare you on this show. We try to tell you different, you know, things to look out for. But can anything emotionally prepare you for that day when something happens? For those of you who have been there, you know what I'm talking about. For those that haven't, it's not applicable to you right now, but one day it will be. If you, you know, if you go into our past shows, we touch on so many topics that affect all of us as children of aging parents. We try to prepare you for things that might happen, what to do, offer our expertise from our guest experts on different approaches, different options you can take. But I understand and I want you to know I know it's tough. It's it's gut-wrenching and painful when your parents are fine and then they're suddenly they're not. And even for those of us in healthcare, we still have that emotion because we're human and our parents are human. And that's what happened to me this week. You know, you I've you've heard my mom and dad, I talk about my mom and dad, Annette and Joe, aka Cut and Link. And Everything's been going fine. We just celebrated my dad's 90th birthday and the whole family was here and got together and we had a great time. And the week after, my mom and dad got this cold that seems to be going around. And, you know, I kept saying to my mom, both of them, you have to go to the doctor. And my mother kept saying, no, you only go to the doctor when your mucus is green. If it's clear, it's fine. And I'm like, ma, you have to go to the doctor. So my father went because my father's an asthmatic. So he has breathing issues. So he went to the doctor. And of course, they put him on, you know, antibiotics and all kinds of things. My mother, no. I'm taking vitamin C, orange juice, but yeah, I, she wasn't getting any better. So 
finally, I said to her, Ma, you have to go to the doctor. So she says, well, I have a checkup, you know, next week. So I'm going to go next week. So I said, okay, at least that's something. So she goes, you know, to the doctor and I call her after and I say, well, what did the doctor say? Oh, she can't give me anything for this cold. I say, why can't she give you anything? Well, I'm jaundice. I said, you're jaundice? Yeah, she took blood work and, you know, my urine was dark and I, I have to go for an ultrasound tomorrow. So I can't take anything for this cold. I don't know why I went. I, she can't give me anything. I said, Ma, what do you mean you're jaundice? I don't know. That's what she said. I said, OK, so you're going for an ultrasound tomorrow. And when do you have to go back to the doctor? I have to go back to her on Wednesday. I said, OK, so. I'm going to come with you on Wednesday. You know, my husband and I will come with you on Wednesday. So, no, you don't have to do that. Daddy can take me. I said, no, no, we're going to come with you. Why? Do you think we won't understand what the doctor's saying? I said, no, no, absolutely not. I said, you know, it's just that more ears to listen to see what she says. So we go to my mom and dad's house, you know, to pick them up to go to the doctor and my mother opens the door and she's as yellow as a Crayola crayon and I say mom you're yellow am I she said now of course she hadn't been going out because she had this cold she wasn't feeling good so she hadn't seen friends she hadn't been seeing people other than my father so no one said to her you're yellow so I walk in you know and my father goes you think she's yellow I said Yes, she's yellow. Oh, you think so? I didn't notice. We didn't we didn't notice. I said, Ma, did you look in the mirror? Yeah, but we didn't notice. Okay. So we go to the doctors and you know, we talked to the doctor and the doctor said, Well, you know, she's drawn this, you know, her liver enzymes are up. Um, and the ultrasound showed a, a blockage in the common bile duct. So I'm like, well, well what Okay, so what do, what do we do about that? She said, well, you have to get, you know, there was a, uh, a particular gastroenterologist that my husband knew that does a particular procedure, and he happens to be affiliated with the hospital that is right in the area that my parents go to. So I, the doctor said, we have to have her admitted right away. I said, okay, are you going to admit her? No, I can't admit her to the hospital. I said, what do you mean you can't admit her to the hospital? We can't admit to the hospital anymore. How we're going to get her in there is she has to go through the ER. I'm like, okay. Doctors can't admit. Only certain doctors, I guess, can admit to the hospital now. So, of course, we go into the ER, and it's wall-to-wall -wall people. Um, so, it, you know, I go with my mother. You know, my, my husband drops us off. I go with my mother, and the admitting a uh, clerk is asking her questions about her symptoms. So she said, you know, do you have pain? No. She well, what brought you here? Well, everyone says I'm yellow. <laughs> I'm like, and the woman's looking at her. I'm like, yes, you know, she is. Well, how's your appetite? Well, I'm not that hungry, you know, but I have this cold. Do you have itching? Yes. You know, I have been itching, but I didn't know what that was. Okay, so we get her into the ER, and of course, there's no room in the ER. We're in this tiny little, I don't even know what you call it, this little space next to the bathroom. And a physician's assistant comes from the gastroenterology group, and he said, yes, you know, we saw a, a blockage in your common bile duct, and 
you know, it could be, it could be stones. We don't know there's sludge there, et cetera. He said, so we have to schedule you for this certain type of MRI to see, you know, better what we're looking at. So my mother says, okay. So he said, I hate to tell you this, but usually the hospital does these procedures about three in the morning, like three in the morning. So I said, okay. So, you know, he said, you're going to be admitted. So we're assuming she's going to go into a room. So they give you one blanket on the stretcher, but it's this thin little blanket. So my mother's saying, geez, I'm really cold. So I have to go. Now there's people everywhere that work there, but no one, no one looks at looks at you because it, it, it's as if they don't want you to ask them a question. So I have to go find someone and ask, can I get another blanket? Can I get uh, maybe two more blankets? Because my mother's freezing. So, okay, someone gets me blankets. You know, then she said to me, I need tissues. Can you find me tissues? So I go to the desk and there's someone sitting there. And I said, do you have tissues? Oh, I don't know, she says. <laughs> I'm like, okay, can you know, we find someone, she needs tissues. So, okay, we're waiting there. So it's probably now about eight o'clock at night. And my mother said, you have to go eat. Daddy has to eat. He hasn't eaten. Go in the cafeteria and eat. And I'm like, no, because we don't want to leave you because we, we, you're going to, as soon as we leave, they're going to take you somewhere. No, no, no. Just go get something to eat. So I said, okay, she has her purse, but of course she didn't bring her cell phone with her. So she doesn't have her cell phone, so we can't call. She can't call me to say where they're moving it to if they move her. So I said, okay, let's take my father to get something to eat. I said, I can stay with you. My husband can take my father. No, no, no. You go too. You haven't eaten. Okay, so of course we go get something to eat. We're only gone maybe a half hour. We come back and she's not there. So now we have to try to find her in this huge hospital ER because and it's wall to wall people. People are on stretchers in the hallways. It's just it's chaos. So we finally find her and she's against the wall on a stretcher and she said, says, you're never going to believe it. As soon as you left, they took me to have the MRI. We're like, oh, good. You had the MRI. Well, no, they took me there. They put me in the room to have the MRI. And then the person said, no, you're not scheduled to have the MRI. So now they brought me here. I'm like, okay. She says, I guess they're going to take me about 3 a.m. Like they said, we're like, okay. So she says, I'm so thirsty, I'm so hungry, but they told her she can't have anything. So we're like, all right, well, if they're going to do the test at 3 a.m., that's, you know, she'll just have to wait until 3 a.m. So then we we finally leave, and she's in the hall, and we said, is she going to be admitted to a room? And they said, well, we have about 50 patients waiting for beds. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now, this makes no sense to me because we have these hospitals building all building you know parking garages and all these rooms and adding on and combining facilities but there's no room for the patients I'm I'm like where are all these rooms I realize you know it's winter people have the flu because everybody in this ER has masks on and I'm thinking oh this can't be good but okay so I make arrangements for my cousin to go go there the next day because I couldn't be there during the day. And I figured, okay, at least my cousin can be there. My cousin can call and tell us what's happening. So 
My mother calls me the next morning. The one nice thing is they have these mobile phones that they allow patients to use. And so she called and she said, it's 10 o'clock. Can you find out when I'm going to have this test? I, because I'm starving. I'm thirsty. I said, they didn't do the test in the middle of the night. She said, no. And my doctor came in and he's wondering why I haven't had the test yet. And he's trying to find out. I call my cousin and she said, no, they said she's supposed to have the test around noon. I said, okay. So around two o'clock, my cousin calls and says, she still hasn't had the test. She, and you know, my mother is thirsty. She hasn't eaten since the previous morning. So I said, let me call administration. Let me just find out what's going on. And I hate to do that. But you have this 89 year old who's just laying there on a stretcher. She hasn't eaten or, or had anything to drink. So I call administration. And I say, I start the conversation, you know, I tell them who I am. And I say, geez, my mom is there. She's 89. The woman says to me, is this a complaint? That's not a good sign if she says, first off, is this a complaint? Because I'm thinking, oh, my God, they're getting a lot of complaints. So I'm going to come back and talk to you about what happened on that call. But first, I want to just tell you, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her six foot four, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day, she was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Remember, there's so many new ways to listen to the show. Spotify, Roku, listen on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, 
Even ask Alexa to play the show for you. And please, if you're listening one of these new ways, do me a big favor and help someone learn about the show and show them how to listen. So I was telling you about this call to administration and the woman says to me that, oh, do you have a complaint? And I said, well, you know, I said, my mom is 89 years old. She came in um, to have a test. She's laying on a stretcher. She hasn't had anything to eat or drink, you know, since the previous, you know, morning. Um, we're, we're waiting to have this MRI. They told us we were going to have it twice. She hasn't had it. I said, she's freezing in the hallway. You know, they haven't put her in a room. I said, you know, either can they do the test or give her something to eat or drink? I said, it's it's really, you know, not fair to a patient to do that. Well, if she's cold, we can get her another blanket. <laughs> I said, yes, thank you. That's great. I said, but can you please find out, you know, what's happening with the test? I said, because I can't find out. I said, even her doctor, you know, is asking when is this test going to be done? She said, well, we're just so busy here. And I said, and what about a room? I don't understand. You don't have rooms, you know, for any of these patients. You have all this building going on. Well, she said, we have 50 people waiting for rooms. I said, okay, I just would appreciate anything you could do because I just can't be there today. I said, and this is really hard. So I hang up with her and my cousin calls and said, guess what? They put her in this cubicle. Um, I guess it's a room in the ER and they fed her and gave her something to drink. And they're going to, they scheduled the MRI for nine o'clock tonight. So I'm saying, oh, okay. Cause now I can, my husband and I can go up later, you know, because my father still hadn't been feeling good. So he's kind of relying my cousin was there and then my husband and I will go up. So we go up, we get there about, I guess about five o'clock and um, now we have to go to a different part of the ER and we go to the desk and we say, we're here, you know, for my mom. And the woman behind the desk said, Oh, only one person at a time. So I said, Oh, I didn't know that happened. I said, Oh, only one person at a time. She said, yes, only one person. Oh, okay. So I go in and I go back there and my mother first says, you know, where's your husband? You know, where's, where's my husband? I said, oh, there's only one person at a time. She said, what do you mean there's only one person at a time? No, go get him. I said, ma, it's all right. You know, I'll just, no, go get him. Okay, so I go get my husband. He comes in. No one even noticed. So we're sitting there and I noticed that she's in a room that's more quarantine. <laughs> and, you know, the um, nurse comes in with a stethoscope and of course it's covered and I'm saying quarantine. So I go out in the hall to find out and they say, well, that's how we got her into a room. So I guess they, you know, that was the only way to get her in. Otherwise, I guess she'd still be waiting in the hall, which is kind of sad. It's sad <laughs> the way things run, but okay. So she scheduled nine o'clock. They came in. We, we clarified that. Yes, they're doing this, uh, special MRI. Okay. So the next day they're predicting in my parents area, this huge snowstorm. So I say to my father, I'm going to come up later. Don't go to the hospital. Don't drive to the hospital. You're going to get like six inches of snow. 
No, he says, it's fine. They always have that hype on TV. They're never right. We're not going to get any snow. I said, Dad, don't go because I can't worry about you driving there. And I have to worry about mommy too. Don't go. No, listen, they said if it's going to start, it's going to start at one o'clock. I'll make sure I come home before. I'm like, okay. And I know nothing I tell him is going to work. He's going to go. So I say, okay. So they're supposed to do my mother's procedure at one o'clock. Well, they don't do it until four o'clock. So I call, I'm talking to the nurse's station because I, I can't, my father, God forbid he takes my mother's cell phone, but he doesn't know how to use it, doesn't want to know how to use it. I said to him the night before, dad, you got to take her cell phone so we can communicate. Oh, then you're going to have to show me how to use it again. No, I'll call you. Oh boy. Okay. So I'm communicating with the nurse and she said to me, yes, they just took her. It's four o'clock. She said, and I sent your father home because we are having a blizzard here. She said, and don't expect him to get home quickly because she said, it's gridlock out there even even just trying to get out of the parking lot I'm like oh my gosh now my father it should only take 15 minutes for him to get home the most even if even if the parking lot you know it, it took a while to get out of the parking lot three hours later he finally answers the phone so I'm like a wreck I can't get up there because where I live we had an ice storm they had the snow we had the ice so I can't get there and I'm thinking I can't reach him where is he you know is he is he off to the side of the road in the snow I'm like oh my gosh so finally I did reach him and he says to me you know I never seen it like this. Nobody moved. It just took me forever. I go, Dad, that's why I told you, don't go. Nah, it's okay. I could drive in anything. I'm saying, oh my gosh. It's just, you know, I keep saying you have to have someone there. You you do. You you have to. H how do you do that? If you don't live in the area, if you can't be there, we have to develop a network of family of friends, maybe your your kids, you know, your grandkids, maybe their friends, people you can trust to help you if you can't be there. It, it, you have to be there. Someone has to be there. And you feel guilty if you're not. But it's sad that we feel we have to be there. But we do. You know, healthcare is a big business today. And people who run hospitals, they have all different titles. It depends on the hospital. You have, you know, chief executive officer, you have chief operating officer, president, uh, VP, hospital administrator, whatever your title is, I am telling you, you have to listen. You have to listen to these small things that families and patients go through that you don't realize you're not sensing, you're not seeing, no one's telling you, but I'm telling you. You know, most companies' goals are to optimize their client, their customer experience. And in healthcare, you know, it's always been we want to make sure our patient receives the highest quality care. Making sure that our patient is happy, is satisfied, not so much. We always assumed in healthcare that the patient wants results over bedside manner. And yes, we're, we're going for the best medical treatment. But also that patient needs to be treated as a person and their family 
needs to be attended to as well. I'm telling you today, both matter. You know, there's so much competition with hospitals. All you hear is we're focusing on patient-centric care. We want to focus on what the patient needs. We care about the patient. You cannot just spout that. You have to do it. You have to take action. And the problem is, the bigger and bigger the hospital becomes, the system is more broken. And you CEOs, you VPs, you administrators, I don't know if you realize that. You know, we're forced to navigate through this broken system. And it seems like, you know, maybe the, the hospitals that are rated for great medical care have the worst people care. So these are the things that I'm telling you, you need to do. You have to go through your own system. You have to stop and see things through that patient's eyes, through their family eyes. You're so focused on tasks, you forget that there's a human being lying there. Or there's a human, you know, they have family that are human. There's physical, emotional needs of that person. Everybody on that team, you have to communicate. You have to communicate with the customer and you have to communicate with the family. You have to ask about that patient's comfort. You want them to be as comfortable as possible while waiting, waiting, waiting for care because that's what they're doing. You offer them a blanket. You offer them food if they can, a drink. You make sure they're comfortable. And people need to hear. They're eager to learn results. You have to keep people updated all along the way. The length of time it takes to get answers and time passes very slowly for that human being and that family waiting. So you have to keep them posted. There's nothing wrong with that all along the way. Why do you have a call button? You have to answer that call button. You know, you can't have long waits. That adds to the stress. You have to respond promptly. You have to show respect for that client. And when you have more than one doctor involved, somebody has to figure this out so there isn't chaos. And one doctor assumes you were told things and no one tells you anything because everybody assumes you were told things. You have to speak in words that people understand and your people need training with older people, with elderly people. They need training. I watch my mother. She's not hearing what you're saying. She's looking at you. She's not responding because she doesn't hear what you're saying. She doesn't understand what you're saying. You have to realize that. And I have to keep pointing to you know, she doesn't hear, you have to speak louder. And I'll have, you know, some people say, oh, I know, I speak so quietly. I say, do you hear me speaking? You have to speak louder. But these are cues. You have to, you have to observe a patient. You have to look. And those people that work there, they have to avoid all that social chatter among themselves. That's stressful to people lying there. You know, they should be talking to the patients. And don't ask do you have any questions? Don't ask it that way because that only requires a yes or no answer because a doctor will say, do you have any more questions? And you know what? They're gonna, people are going to say no because first of all, they can't think that quickly or they're just going to say no. They don't know what to ask. So this is what you need to say. Ask me whatever questions come to mind. And then you have to take the time to answer them because people 
may ask you a question because you're putting it in a different way. You're not just looking for a yes or no answer. People, when you ask it that way, are saying, oh, maybe the doctor really does want to know and maybe they will tell me. You have to have a relationship with that patient. The whole team has to have a relationship and it has to be consistent. It can't be just one time, you know, one time a nurse's aide is nice. The other time she's really rushed and she says, well, I can't get to you. You know, my mother had an IV in her hand and they put a tray in front of her and she's starving. So she's trying to eat. She can't use her right hand. And what's happening? That machine is beeping, beeping, beeping. And the nurse comes in and says, try not to move your hand. And I say, well, but, but she's trying to eat. Maybe can you put it in the other hand or can you disconnect it? Is, it? is it, you know, for 10 minutes while she eats? You know, there's just little things. And I'm telling you, administrators, unless every customer interaction is flawless, the negative experience will amplify. And that is the emotion patients associate with your hospital. And you don't realize that. And you could have the best place in the world. But I'm telling you, you have to look at the patient as a human being. And we should feel that our parents are safe in the hospital. We shouldn't feel that we can't leave them alone. But we do feel that way. And it's okay, we want to be there. And we need to be there today. But what if we can't, we should feel like somebody's going to call us, somebody's going to explain things, and my mom or dad is being taken care of. So you have to listen, you have to go through your system. One final note, I'll just tell you something funny with my mother. She she's in a room and she decides, okay, I'm going to, you know, go into the bathroom. And she's in there and she's in there and the nurse is knocking and I'm going, I don't know. The nurse is going, what's she doing? I'm going, Ma, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Ma, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. We're waiting and waiting. Finally, she comes out and she says to me, I keep trying to clean that soap dish. But every time I put my hand there, the soap keeps coming out. I can't keep that dish clean. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the automatic soap dish. So I will leave you with that. Yes, we do have to be there. Even if it's only to monitor the soap dish. That was my experience this week. I love getting your emails and questions. So please keep sending them in. You can reach me at dianaparentsarehardtoraise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Please show someone else how to find the show. We would love that. Parents are Hard to Raise is a CounterSync Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week. 